I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Welcome back to part two of our chat with Nick from Perla. If you want to hear all about the top 10 most popular ETFs of 2023, go back and listen to the previous episode. But today we're going to cover the popular ethical ETFs and some interesting findings that may surprise you. Um, but first, Anna, can you explain what ethical and ESG actually means? So ethical gets referred to quite a bit when it comes to investing, but the term that's the real term that needs to be used is environmental, social, and governments, which is ESG. So again, environmental, social, and governments. And what that is, is it's basically a framework used to assess an organization or business practices and performance on various sustainability and ethical issues. So it's not just ethical because ethical ethical to you might be different to me. You know, for someone, it might be about veganism or someone else. It might be about weapons being used. And all of those things are individually um, important to us. But when we talk about ESG investing, there is some kind of screening that does get done um, against these companies to rate them as an ESG investment. One of my favorite questions to kind of dive into the world of ethical investing is, Nick, do you think Amazon is ethical? <laughs> well, I should disclose that I've never actually been an Amazon customer. Um, and that's never. not No, it's not because I have some philosophical um, disagreement with them. I'm just a little bit old school in that way. So I think, you know, is Amazon an ethical company? I think one of the key things I look at when I think about a company is how often or how much are they being 
uh, uncovered or accused of doing things that are just flat out wrong, right? So obviously Amazon is a very successful company. They make lots of money and they employ huge numbers of people. So we can't kind of discount the fact that they're, um, they've revolutionized retail and they've created jobs for people, sure. But when you look at it on balance, they've obviously done that in some part, maybe not a large part, but in some part by pushing the limits of what is a normal job and what we can expect from people. And they've grown really rapidly, which means people, you know, obviously people in these um, more manual jobs that make their business go have been pushed really hard. And there's there's obviously been examples where people have been exploited. So does that make them evil? That's for everyone else to decide. Does it really shine a light on the fact that in order for um, us to live the lives that we kind of expect and get things for the price that we expect, that there's someone paying somewhere along the way? Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger topic here is, you know, we all want our cheap delivery and fast delivery and all this other stuff. Can we really expect in this day and age that that hasn't taken some really hard work from someone who's earning far less than us? Um, So that's kind of my two cents on it, whether Amazon cops its fair share versus some other companies is a whole other topic. I think I've, I've, I've talked now for like 45 seconds. I haven't answered your question. I'm probably not going to answer your question. <laughs> That's okay. That was very diplomatic. It was a good answer for being put on the spot. I don't think there's a right answer to that question. Yeah. It, it comes down to what your values are and what you think is ethical, right? At the end of the day, or what the ETF thinks is ethical based on what you're investing in. I use that one as an example because it's in VESG, which is one of the more popular ethical ETFs. So it's an interesting, interesting conversation around that. Nick, can you share a little bit about the data from Perla? Like what are the Perla users? Where did these stats come from before we dive into them too much? Yeah, sure. So for those who don't know us or don't know us that well, Perla is an investing platform that uses community data to help people learn. Um, Or to put it simply, we try and package up what everyone's doing anonymously, obviously, and then give that back to people so that they can learn. And ways they might be able to learn are looking at overall, what are people investing in? Um, Not what they're trading or who's making the most money, but literally what are people picking? And they can make their own kind of ideas about why. We then boil that down a little bit further to say whether um, whether you're looking for someone who's more like you, whether that's on a gender or age or both. And, you know, what we've done over the last couple of years, we launched in March 2021, is try and keep track of generally who is investing on Perla and try and see how similar or different that is to the broader society. So after all that waffle there, basically Perla, the the people using Perla are uh, evenly split on a gender basis. And there's a large chunk that are in that kind of 25 to 40 that Gen Y kind of bucket. And then there's kind of an evil, even kind of mix of Gen X and, and Gen Z. Um, so, you know, from all accounts, we're being used by a really balanced kind of community, both on gender and age. And um, if you Google like gender splits for the industry, generally um, you're going to find some pretty interesting stuff. Obviously, historically, it's been really male dominated. And, you know, hopefully per- companies like us, are showing that that doesn't have to be the case if you go and reach people and engage with people on on their level. So I I always feel very proud about this, seeing that there's a quite equal sp- split um, between men and women when it comes to investing. Because like you said, Nick, often it's a male dominated space, and um, and and for for so long, women 
didn't have access to investing in the same way. It wasn't talked about in the same way. Um, women have been targeted as needing to save as opposed to investing for the future. So I just love that there is a change and shift when it comes to financial literacy, when it comes to, to gender as well. Nick, did you have like the stats for how many women invest just generally on the ASX? Do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, I don't know that off the top of the head, but if we, if we make some generalizations about what's been done in the past, and not like a split you will probably find if you Google this sort of thing is like that 70, 30. So I'm not, I'm not saying that that's exactly right for every age group in younger age groups, the split's going to be really different. Like what we're seeing with Perla, but you know, anecdotally 70, 30 has historically been that, you know, men, women split. And Nick, are you seeing any trends when it comes to this specifically within those cohorts? Sure. So, I mean, we should start with the top 10, um, just just because that's a really nice control in terms of what's, what people are doing. Um, and if you didn't, go and listen to the episode we, we released earlier on the top 10 holdings of the Perla community. Um, the reason I bring that up is across eight out of the top 10 ETFs, the ownership on a gender basis and on an age basis and pretty much every basis is even, which means that, you know, as you'd expect, the most popular ETFs who are invested in by the most number of people are reflective of who's using Perla, which is pretty balanced, right? The only two ETFs in that top 10 where it's less balanced or it's skewed towards one gender are EFI and VESG which happen to be the only ESG ETFs in the top 10. And that's kind of what brings us to having this chat conversation today because it's kind of interesting that if all the ETFs or if most of the ETFs that are being bought on Perla are even, um, the only place we can see any difference is in ESG ETFs. And it goes further than those two in the top 10. Yeah, the biggest gender difference is FAIR, which is another beta shares ethical ETF that focuses on Australian companies, but that's held by 77% women and 23% men, which is a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And so just to kind of bring it into context for everyone, if you go down the list and 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 all of them are somewhere between like 55 45, you know, they're basically even. You get to these ESG ETFs and then if you get to the top five ESG ETFs, which I think we're going to run through, this the split is is much closer to around that 70-30, but not 70-30 men, which I think we mentioned before as like an anecdotal industry split, 70-30 women um, investing in ESG ETFs to, to that larger component. So it's, it's what kind of made us look at it and go, wow, that's, you know, we don't know necessarily how to read that, but it's kind of the only real, you know, point that we can find of any real difference. Okay. Before we dive into why there's a big gender split and some of the reasons for that, um, the top five ETFs are starting with number five, the top five ethical ETFs is VETH, which is the Vanguard Ethically Conscious Australian Shares ETF. Then we've got ESGI, which is the Vanek MSCI International Sustainable Equity ETF. I don't think we've spoken about Vanek very much, Nick. Do you have a little spiel on who they are and what they do and why we should care about them? So Vanek are a big, big multinational ETF manager um, and they've been in Australia for a long while. So they're probably like, you know, in terms of size, number three when it comes behind Vanguard and BetaShares. And, you know, they've kind of made their mark by doing some ETFs that are a little bit tweaked from the basic Right. So, you know, if you think of BetaShares and Vanguard going for that mass market, cheap, um, Vanek are kind of doing those sim- similar things, like really well-known topics, really well um, c- 
credential themes, but doing them in a way that is slightly more technical. One of my favorite ones of theirs, like not an ethical one, is, is MVW, the equal weighted ASX 200, which is interesting. Like last episode, we were talking about how heavily weighted these ETFs are towards the top 10 usually. Um, they've got one that equally weights between all of them, which is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And I think, you know, for people who listen to our other episode on the top 10 ETFs, where I think we mentioned that BHP was 10% of that ETF, yeah, the, the equal weight ETF will, will make, um, if you think if you take 100 ETFs, each of them will have 1%. Um, or if you take 200 ETFs, each of them will have 0.5%. Um, number three is FAIR, the BetaShares Australian Sustainability Leaders ETF. This is um, the Australian version of ETHI, I guess, because ETHI is quite popular. And then number two is VESG, which we spoke about lots in the last episode. And number one is ETHI. Um, so, Nick, any thoughts on the top five? Any learnings? Any key things that stood out to you? Yeah, so there's some things that are not very surprising. So I think three of them are for global indexes and two of them are for Aussie indexes, which is kind of the same as when we look at our general top 10. A lot of them are either global or Aussie indexes. And so what that means is people are mostly looking for a simple way to invest globally or locally. Um, and they're wanting to do that by just kicking out some companies that, that they think are you know, either less sustainable. So the big question, why are more women investing in ethical ETFs than men? Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about. And I think it's a great conversation because, you know, if we if we stop for a moment, and we think um, about the Pearly universe, which is, you know, younger than the whole of Australia. Obviously, we don't have any boomer customers. I think we've got about 3%. But anyway, there's definitely going to be some elements here where we have a younger audience. They're probably more forward thinking. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, they're wanting to think about, you know, their portfolio in 20 or 30 years. And that's a great thing, obviously. Um, the flip side of that is you'll have some people who say, well, uh, the companies that are um, being kicked out of ESG ETFs may be um, poor performers in 20 years or 30 years, but right now they're really big companies and they're really profitable. And so you're kicking out some of the largest companies. And certainly in Australia, you're kicking out, you know, almost 60 or 70% of our top 10, you know, all being miners or oil and gas. So, you know, I think that's really part of it. It's like maybe, again, these are big maybes, maybe um, the women investors on Perla are taking a longer-term view and they're happy, they're happy that they'll be right eventually and they're kind of okay with the fact that they're going to forego some of those mining and oil and gas and gambling profits today. That's a big maybe. But if that's the case, I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's a good sign right? Because what we talk about in general is um, having that long-term view, you know, understanding why you're doing something. And, you know, if you change your mind along the way, that's great, but that could be part of it. It could indicate that the women investors on Perler are taking a slightly longer-term view and, you know, happy to take a bit of short-term pain. I asked people on Instagram what they thought about this, and I don't know how true any of these things are, but a lot of the responses were around women being more caring or being more nurturing or thinking about the future, like you were saying as well, Nick. Apparently, there's studies showing that women are more genetically disposed to empathetic behavior, which is interesting. I haven't looked up that one yet. 
Um, and lots about like women being the primary carers, so focusing on others more than themselves. But yeah, very interesting. That last point is one that I've talked quite a bit about to some of my friends being, being a mom, myself, a parent. And that's one of the main reasons that I've heard from, from parents who, why are they investing in ESG, having, having young kids that they want to enjoy their life and not be in, in climate crisis or whatever it might be that they have their own ethics when it comes to investing. And so they're focusing on companies or ETFs that are more sustainable or that have a better future for their kids. So I I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case for, for parents that we see who want their kids to have a beautiful life. (laughs) When you asked online, Tash, um, did you get many grumpy people? Um, Yeah. Yes. Um, Some people are like, well, Perla's just got lots of women on there. So I was like, no, no, it's 50-50 pretty much. Um, Or some saying it's very sexist, like the gender pay gap and not actually real. Um, Just a few comments like that too. Those are my favorite. Yes. (laughs) It's not real, but data shows that it is, but it's not real. Or there was something like, well, men care more about returns and women are more emotional and make worse decisions. Some people like that. Actually, statistically, women make very good choices when it comes to investing as well. And a huge part of that is due to... Um, not being impulsive when it comes to chasing short, short, uh, term gains. And also at the same time, in many cases, women have less disposable income and due to having less disposable income, you're less likely to make risky decisions. Yeah. There are a few more like, um, more sassy worded ones, I guess, almost like we're less greedy or we're less selfish or men are more selfish or men are more greedy. Um, what's those two? (laughs) Oh, rough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, it's, it's whilst some of those comments, you know, maybe they're made in the tongue-in-cheek way and some of them maybe are outright just trying to be a bit mean because, again, this is a really personal journey. So, um, you know, what someone else does really shouldn't impact what you do. But I think, you know, the reason I asked that was because, you know, if we bring it back to like investing principles and you go, let's just say we can get a consensus that at some point global consumption and appetite for earth kind of generated materials is going to taper or fall off right? Nobody knows quite when that's going to happen. Um, and nobody knows how fast renewables will accelerate, right? Nobody knows. So let's just say though, everyone agrees in 20 or 30 years, whatever, it's going to happen. you got one person who's like, well, for the meantime, I'm happy to own miners and oil and gas or whatever it happens to be. Um, not that I have an opinion on those, but I'm happy to own it. And then when it switches, I'll just, then I'll jump into ESG because then renewables or whatever else it is will be more popular. And that's fine. Someone can have that opinion totally valid. And, 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 you know, looking at the earnings of these companies, you're probably going to do really well on a, on a relative index scale. But if you wanted to kind of play that devil's advocate on that approach, it's like, okay, so you believe at some point in the future, these things are going to come off, which means those companies are going to be less valuable and they're going to go down and they're going to fall out of these indexes anyway. That's just a super long game of timing the market. Which everyone, which which a lot of people will kind of agree. On the other hand, is like, well, I don't want to time the market. So it's it's really a matter of degrees of like how long term is your view, you know? It's and it's really interesting. And I think someone made a really interesting comment the last time we all got together, which was, can I can I afford the world that I want? And what they meant by that was at the time, just to provide context, was I may want a world where everything's as sustainable um, and as well thought out uh, as can be. But if that's going to make me less wealthy to a large degree, and that means I can't be the human I want to be, then maybe I've got to make a trade-off. Um, and these are all big topics, right? Um, because no one, no one knows what's going to happen in the future or how long miners are going to make most of the money. Who knows? 
It's interesting around like the gender pay gap as well and like the gender wealth gap if women are the ones taking the hit in the short term to hopefully benefit in the longer term and men aren't in the same way. But yeah, it's definitely very interesting. And we won't know for like 20 years. Yeah, or longer. We'll see. Um, the biggest question, does ethical investing even make a difference? I kind of go backwards and forwards on this one because on one hand, I'm like, yes, it does because companies are seeing there's interest in it and people are putting their money into it. So companies will be more wary of it. But sometimes it feels like nothing will ever be quite ethical. Is it even worth trying? Yeah. And I think an easier way to talk about this is, you know, what I mentioned earlier, like the, the level of scandals when we talked about Amazon, right? So it's really easy for everyone to jump to green or, or sustainable from an environmental perspective. But um, a big part of ESG as, as people get more educated on these things is, you know, looking at how does a company operate? How does it treat its customers? How does it treat its suppliers? How does it treat its staff? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And so does ESG even make a difference? I think, you know, like like a lot of things in history, it takes a lot of people over a lot of time to affect real change, right? And so I personally believe that, you know, this modern concept of ESG will evolve and it'll be different in 10 years' time. Um, I think it's going to be different sooner than that. But all that means to me is we have to go through these growing pains. We have to go through this kind of confusion. We have to go through some people believing in it, some people not, and bit by bit, the best version of it will happen. And so you, you mentioned, will companies take notice and, and try and do better? I believe, yeah. I believe they won't necessarily do it so that they get some ESG tag, but you know, bit by bit they will hopefully see that I'm not just being graded on profit anymore and social media moves at such a pace that a scandal or a team, an employee complaining that they were harassed or whatever is almost as bad as making less money, over time, hopefully, it forces these companies to be better and us to be better humans, right? And these are massive companies with lots of people. So um, I think in all, it's a good thing. I think it's more of like a conversation that happens over time and eventually you'll get to a point where, yes, whether they do it because of ESG or not, hopefully it means that companies are just holistically better. Mm -hmm. Anna, what do you think? I know you just buy ethical ETFs now. Yeah. I mean, I hold my old ones that are not, not ethical, but for me, I, I think I've come to the decision a few years back where it's like, if I can, I want to create a world for myself and my kids that I feel proud of. And for me trying to be very conscious of where I'm spending my money and how I'm spending my money, 
Um, whether that means I need to be a more conscious consumer or whether I need to divest, which is also something that I've done in, in certain ways as well, just makes me sleep better at night. And, um, that, that's just, that's just kind of the world that I want to live in. And whether it makes a difference, it might be tiny. But like I think Nick said, for things to change, you do need a mass amount of people to believe in it and to make change and to hold companies accountable. And that's only going to start with one person and then two and then millions. So I'm, I'm doing what I can so that I can sleep better at night, to be honest. What about you, Tash? I yeah, spent a little while buying just ethical ETFs and now I've gone back to buying just a diversified one because um, I didn't like the diversified ethical ETF and it's easier to find a diversified one with non-ethical ones. Um, I think I'm kind of, I still hold a lot of ethical ones, but I don't want to just completely hold them too. I jump between both where I feel like, yes, this is great. And then other times I'm like, oh no, I don't know if it is. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like you can do a little bit and still help. Well, you can also buy th- thematics that focus in a specific area that you're interested in. Yeah. So if you if you want to support solar, for example, you you can find ETFs that are maybe fo- focused in um, renewable energy or something of that sort. So there there is a lot of options. And the thing is, it's going to be different for everyone, right? What you think is ethical versus me, and and that's okay too. That's the beauty of the differences of the world. We just um, we can adjust our portfolio when needed. Yeah, one of the things we've noticed is that we've sort of seen a bit of a change, like a broadening, I guess. So maybe a year or two ago, the data would have shown that an ESG investor was all ESG, So, which means that they created a portfolio of just ESG ETFs. What we've sort of been noticing is that people have been starting to look at ESG ETFs as just another like small component of their portfolio. So they might, they might, they might go through a thought process and they're like, okay, I want to have a global exposure. And um, I've looked at the global ESG ETFs and I'm not really wanting to pay the fees um, for pretty much the same ETF. Also, there's a bunch of companies in there that it's like dubious as to how good they are. So I'm just going to go with a general global ETF, right? Or are they going to go with the ethical global? Like they'll, they'll make a decision, right? Um, and then when they look at Australia and they're like, okay, if I take out all of the companies that, that are bad for the environment, I'm left with a bit of the Australian uh, market that doesn't pay a lot of dividends and isn't huge, right? And so the performance of those is always going to be harder versus the Australian thing. And maybe I just need to either not have it at all or just go with the standard. Um, so they make those sort of decisions. And I think what we've seen is a lot of people have gone, I'm just going to go with the the cheap basic because I, you know, I'm not going to change the world by you know, buying a global ESG ETF, but then picking a thematic or picking an ESG ETF and say putting like 10, 20% of their portfolio in that. So it's like, I've got it there, you know, I buy it less than the others and over time I might buy more, um, but it's no longer this idea of my whole portfolio needs to be ESG. It's more like my portfolio is going to be based on what's good for the next five, 10 years and I'm going to kind of tweak the ESG as, as it becomes cheaper or as it becomes better if that makes sense. I think I heard you speak at an event, Nick, and you were saying, yeah, start off with it being 10%. And then as you grow your portfolio, you can kind of switch more into ESG as you've made more money from it. Was that you who said that? Yeah, something like that. I think I was talking again about what we've sort of seen people do. But um, I think the, the bigger point there is like we talked a little bit about timing the market. It's like, oh, at some point, maybe oil and gas companies are going to be worth zero. When's that going to happen? No one knows. But a way of kind of hedging your bets a little bit is like, starting off with a you know mate let's say let's say it's like 
70% non-ESG filtered and 30% ESG. And, you know, in, say, five years, you can say, I'm going to get my portfolio to 40% ESG. And in 10 years, I'm going to get it to 50% ESG. And in 20 years, it's going to be all ESG. But by that time, we're going to know a lot more about how this all works. And also, the fees on those ETFs are going to become a lot cheaper. So that can it can, it can all play into, like, you know, I can evolve this portfolio over time and it, and, it, and, it, and it may not be changing the world, but I'm also not necessarily making myself poor in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good reminder that you don't have to stick with the same thing forever and you can change your mind as you go. And it also doesn't have to be all or nothing because I also get stuck sometimes in a bit of like an all or nothing thinking pattern being like, well, why bother if I'm not going to go all in? But it doesn't have to be like that. And I think one thing that maybe gives some people some anxiety, like, oh, I'm doing a bad thing if I'm not picking an ESG ETF is just to remind yourself that the, the tag of ESG um, and buying an ESG ETF is, is not meant to be a proactive impact action or statement, right? There are impact funds and impact ETFs that go and invest in projects that have a profit, but also, you know, seek to do better in the world. And if that's what you want to do, that's that's entirely possible. It does cost more money. But ESG is not meant to be that proactive statement necessarily. It's, it's, it's more of like uh, removing certain elements. So don't necessarily judge yourself on whether you're a good or per- bad person because you're not picking an ESG ETF. Um, it's not like, you know, obviously that's a personal journey for everybody, but it's not really what they're designed for. They're not meant to be, you know, bit by bit rebuilding the world. They're just meant to be, you know, weighting higher to companies that are, you know, less bad, if that makes less sense. Less bad, yes. It's a good way to <laughs> and they're relatively it. new and they're relatively new, right? And and we might see an evolution of what ESG investing looks like, I think, as you've mentioned, right? Yeah. So, and, so, and certainly, hopefully, we see them become cheaper because at yeah. the moment, the biggest, yeah. you know, the biggest challenge is they are a lot more expensive than, than the basic ETFs. And all the, you know, you could say, I mean, I don't know, the science that goes into necessarily picking the index, but you could say, I'm paying 10 times the fee to take out 10% of the bad companies. And that might be totally fine for you. And it's not a right or wrong. It's more just like these things are expensive and you need to think about all of these things when you're investing. Yeah. And the other challenge is the companies that are left there may still not be as ethical as you would want them to be, which is yes. some, Amazon you know, staring Amazon. at you. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to be perfect. Don't beat yourself up about it and do what's right for you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just keep learning. Just keep reading about stuff. Just keep Googling to see what's actually in them. So Nick, people might be wondering if this episode is sponsored by Perla and it's not. Um, so can you start explaining what this podcast arrangement is? Yes, sure. So the simple answer is this is a joint venture between Perla and Tash Invests or Natasha Etchman. And it's come together over a number of years where we've worked together a lot on sponsored content, different events, and we've done so sometimes on a paid basis and sometimes just because we like each other. And um, as Tash was um, venturing into the world of full-time content creation, we were talking a lot about what she wanted to do and how we could support that. And one of the ideas was a podcast. And so long story short, we have a podcast that we both co-own. We have 50-50 decision-making and ownership in. And the idea is it's a platform for Tash to build out her business. And it's a platform for Perla to support 
good content creation and education and at the same time have you know a, a new element to its platform that its customers can enjoy as well i often get asked if that means uh perla gets to control all the content we make um and luckily no nick is very nice and doesn't control everything that we say um but yeah it, we also love perla so it's great to have nick on to talk about perla as well yeah but i mean i i have to thank you both because you, you sort of made a comment there about not wanting to control what we say and you know I'm very lucky to get to work with people who are really smart and really, really want to do what they're doing, right? So when you come to me and you're like, should we do this? My answer is generally, you do whatever you want. And I'm sure it, I'm sure it'll be good. And I'm like, that sounds like a throwaway, but it makes life so, so much easier. And it's, it's something to be said for working with people who you like and who you respect. And who value the same things as well. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Nick. This was lots of fun and really interesting to talk about. Thanks for having me. I enjoy these conversations. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367 and Perla, who is an authorised representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.